You're listening to Street Sounds from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, recorded on the 28th of October 2011 and posted on the online sound map apori.org by the user Batty Leonard, who says they're recording a bus crier, the person who announces the stops and destinations of the city's blue and white minivans. You're also listening to me, recording in my room in Amsterdam. I chose Addis Ababa because it's somewhere I've not been, but would like to go, and a place that's far away from where I am right now. My point is that, as you listen to this, you're in three places at once. Addis Ababa on the 28th of October, 2011. Amsterdam on the 28th of February, 2019. And sometime after that, you're where you are right now. Maybe it's worth switching me off for a bit and working out what that third place sounds like. As it suggests, and as you'll shortly hear me say in the proper introduction, we're going introspective in this episode, talking about the work that goes into producing a podcast about architecture, what it means to represent architecture through sound, and how sounds, cities, and citizens interact. Most of the episode is a conversation between me, Mark, and Rene. But in the breaks, I'll introduce a series of other sounds I found on apori.org. Hopefully these breaks should help clarify the ideas we end up discussing as the conversation proceeds. Now, with that prologue out of the way, let's start the episode proper. Welcome to the Failed Architecture Podcast. My name is Charlie Clemos. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Rene Boer. Hi. And Mark Minkin. Hello. Today we're trying something slightly slightly more introspective, I would say. The subject is podcasting architecture. Hopefully we're going to sort of maybe explore the form, uh, think about what it takes in terms of the production side, Maybe we could um, start, though, um, since we recently began a supports campaign, talking about uh, our moves as an organization to become self-sustaining. Yeah, so this, this supporters campaign, us asking people for, uh, for their money, basically, to, uh, to help sustain field architecture. I think we, we decided to do it because, um, well, we've been running this platform for uh, six, seven, eight years, depending on where you start counting, I think. And, and a lot of it, you know, depends on voluntary work from uh, not only us, but, you know, the uh, other editors, uh, copy editors, and the many, many authors uh, that write for our website, but also, you know, the people that are on the podcast that take the time to be here with us. And 
this also makes us very dependent on voluntary work and, you know, people doing us favors. And I think the main, let's say, reason behind doing this campaign is to to professionalize and also to be able to be more agenda setting, if that's a word, so that we can, you know, decide, you know, set out certain um, directions or threads or themes that we want to work on and then be able to also you know, pay people to get involved yeah, because um, it's, I mean, it's serious work. It like immediately has had tangible benefits, I'd say, um, in terms of like the publication process. Um, this is maybe more Renee's bag, I'd say. Uh, I mean, do you want to talk about like, you know, where we're going with that in the next year and like what's, yeah, sure. what's up? You know? Yeah. Yeah, so um, last year we did a, a redesign of the of the field architecture website to make it a bit more uh, 2019 or 2018 at the time. Um, and at the same time, we launched this uh, this campaign for for support. And initially, it didn't work out well. But like last December, um, oh, we didn't really say it. You know, we didn't tell anybody about it. It was there yeah. in, in the background. Exactly. Was, yeah. yeah. But then we did a pretty um, well pushy campaign on social media. <laughs> Uh, helped by some uh, some pretty strong visuals and some uh, alarming banners on the uh, on the field architecture website and a progress and it, bar and a progress bar <laughs> yeah awesome. so yeah and what actually really worked well is that we set a few goals uh, that we wanted to achieve so like one of the first goals was to uh, make sure that we like could cover all the technical costs then there was like a goal to make sure that we can actually pay some of the contributors then uh, next goal to make sure that we can actually uh, pay ourselves a little fee for uh, for our efforts and also uh, the other editors that are part of field architecture and actually this system of goals seem to appeal uh, pretty uh, pretty well actually to uh, to the a broad field architecture audience and yeah so within a month we actually reached a level that we could like uh, completely reorganize field architecture actually and i think that yeah, that's it's quite amazing so uh, we don't have to put in uh, money uh, from our own pockets anymore but especially that we can yeah right now um pay everybody uh, for uh, for the efforts that are being put in. I think it's uh, pretty amazing. And it's also a very, very small amount of money still. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty uh, modest... Uh, <laughs> A modest compensation. It's it's yeah. It's basically modest is a generous way. Of, yeah, uh, it's, it's like symbolic. Let's let's put it like that. But I mean, it turns it around, right? So that we rather than that we wait for unsolicited proposals from people, we can indeed be more agenda setting, but also like for example, call for a specific series that we think are important at this moment, uh, curate these series, and either invite specific people or make an open call like to to see like where from our audience people are gonna yeah think about this topic and contribute from from speci uh, specific perspectives and by the fact that we that we are actually paying people now it also yeah allows us to put like pretty firm deadlines and to create a bit of a process and and what and what is also quite interesting actually is that like before we were actually taking on like like a lot of things right that also maybe we were not necessarily very much interested in, but just because people were eager about it themselves, you would like actually take it on and publish it. But right now, because we want to pay everyone, we also have to be a bit more specific about the number of articles we're actually uh, going to publish. So we also have to say no a bit more often, 
which is actually also a, a healthy dynamic, uh, I feel. So we have to be like a bit more keen on what we're getting on. And when we're paying something, we want to have something that's actually really good. So it's kind of turning the entire process of like running this platform of filter architecture. It's, it's like turning it upside down. It's a new beginning. Yeah, it's a new beginning. It makes it much more professional, and even though it's indeed about like very symbolic amounts uh, for now. Uh, we hope it's going to be more. I mean, it yeah. just creates this sort of virtuous cycle, doesn't it? Of like, um, suddenly we can, you know, we can like think differently about like how we produce stuff. And, and I think because of the output will improve, hopefully that also creates a level of appreciation of the platform. We reach out to different people. So we kind of reach out to new, because we're agenda setting rather yeah. than waiting for unsolicited articles. Uh, you know, we can we can reach out to new audiences and things yeah. like that, you know, and, and sort of like try and sort of explore the places where architecture does need to sort of still yeah. be problematized, where it isn't really. Yeah, and what is also quite interesting that we also, we always wanted to be a platform for like young thinkers on, on architecture in cities um, and young writers. And I think it's also important that when you're able to pay them that you can actually contribute to this to a, to a healthy ecology of, of architectural thinking, right? And and it's also like a way for uh, for young writers to yeah to actually sustain themselves while thinking and working on these kind of themes. I mean, it's yeah, it's not going to provide them with a living, but actually we can yeah uh, try to contribute to to that rather than exploit it. Mm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Hey, but how fantastic is it that we've had like um, I think close to two hundred people already like supporting us, and many of them on a monthly basis. Yeah. Um, so I mean, starting from yeah. like two euros a month to um, much more than that, and some people even like just sending us uh, a lot of money at once. Um, this is just fantastic. Yeah, that's right? amazing. Yeah. yeah. So shout out to uh, to all of them. Actually, thank you. Thank you. All yeah. of you. Yeah, and, and yeah, we also. Uh, what's also important is that we want to be uh, quite transparent what we're doing with the money. So that's also listed on the on the Field Architecture website. You can actually see what we're doing with a certain amount that's coming in. Um, so, and we have still like uh, new goals lined up ahead of us. Uh, we're not doing uh, pretty intense campaigns about it, but uh, we still need people's donations. So, if you're now listening to the to the podcast, uh, go to the to the website and, uh, and make a little uh, contribution. From Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, to Forkuta, Russia, the fourth largest city in the Arctic Circle. The sound you're listening to was recorded on the 1st of May 2013 by user Pablo Salaoun and is entitled Crow for obvious reasons. Exactly a year later, Pablo recorded this track, entitled Mayday.
In between these two recordings, on the 6th of November, he recorded this track, entitled The Weather, including the somewhat unnecessary caption, Strong Wind and Snow in Vorkuta. I mean, over time, it's something that became more and more important within the work of field architecture, right? The, uh, the visual culture of, uh, of architecture. And I think that's something that we touched upon quite early and became more and more important. And at some point, we decided to do the podcast in which you completely take the, the visual element away. And yeah, it's, it's quite interesting what it does when you, when you talk about certain topics, right? Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. So sometimes you do need to like convey an image. So you need to talk about it. You know, you need to explain people what something looks like, or uh, how the let's say the spatial experience of a place is uh, visually at least. But besides that, I think it is a statement to not work uh, visually um, because the visual can also like you know drug uh, people in a way. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about the society of the spectacle again. This, well, this, this like uh, Guy Debord. Yeah, um, the the social relationship mediated by images, right? Which yeah. is like more true now than he, when he was writing exactly. by far, right? You know that we do actually can like communicate explicitly through like uh, abstracted image of ourselves and an mm -hmm. abstracted everything is sort of sort of abstracted to the level of complete distance from the kind of direct. Yeah impact of 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 the thing itself i suppose but. yeah exactly yeah and then thinking about Guy Debord who talks about you know this this spectacular image turning people into passive consumers in, instead of like active um um thinkers participators mm -hmm. or thinkers yeah exactly so we we are really i think we're also this is also a, um, a suggestion that we're trying to make like hey you can actually think for yourself and there's more yeah to this shiny surface. Yeah, and, and especially within architecture, right? I mean, uh, that over the last, let's say, like 10 to 15 years has also relied increasingly on like this, the distribution of like catchy images to sell a, a, certain, a, cer a certain image, to sell a certain uh, proposal uh, and to rally people, um, yeah, f along this proposal, right? And also with the, um, the rise of like uh, social media, and architecture making the wider world of like uh, let's say spatial production relying on this distribution of these images on uh, on social media um, it's, it's like a real complete image as well isn't it it's completely managed and and yeah. um pre-packaged it's not yeah. something that you can sort of insert your own experiences into there aren't no. gaps left there's no room yeah. for interpretation no. yeah, or exactly. imagination yeah and and yeah people and and that's sometimes what architecture seems to be reduced to, right? The production of these images and its distribution and then a consumption by like an audience that's interested in architecture, but uh, would just like are fed this endless stream of these, uh, the, yeah, these images with like uh, shiny skies, <laughs> I mean, shiny buildings and, and blue skies. Right? Which is, I mean, hilarious if you spend even like the f like smallest amount of time behind the scenes of like the actual production process of these renderings, right? Is that like, you know, they're so detached from like what it will actually look like anyway you know you, you, there's no there's no way that like 
what is being produced is 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 really like truthful to yeah. what, what will happen in the end but also you know it, it it's um it it's often produced by the kind of architectural assist all the people on their part twos and the most exploited people are making the uh the shiniest images and things like that like um i mean maybe that's an as- aside but like i i you know i'm just aware having having spent some time behind the scenes that it it, it is at a, a peculiar um state of affairs to be in given again i mean we receive these images um as products to consume right but the so the thing i didn't stress in that sentence is the products right so they were produced and you know the production process is obscured in everything that we we kind of we we see in mainstream yeah. architectural media um yeah and there's a confusion at I think that um often we're talking about an image we're not really talking about a building. Yeah. You know, we're talking about the images that are being that are circulating the internet but the building isn't there yet and might never even be there. And I think that maybe a lot of these uh the architects behind these images uh would be just as happy to just leave it with the image and not you know not build the building at all because you know it can only be disappointing i think but i think that, that was also the in the end the main reason to to start the, the podcast right to uh to work in a medium that like doesn't allow for any kind of like visual representation and that forces us to not like rely on the easy uh easy sharing of these images and forces ourselves but also other people to to discuss the actual building right and and in in all its different ways um Yeah, and not be distracted, you know, yeah, you can't yeah. hide behind the image. Yeah. From Volku to Russia to the airport. Specifically, Vancouver Airport in Canada. This sound was recorded by user Neoscenes in 2007. <laughs> Three years later, in 2010, here they are in Auckland Airport, New Zealand. again in 2013 here they are in Hamburg airport Germany
how, how did you experience this um, so far? Like doing this, uh, you know, not not, yeah. not being able to show an image. Uh, yeah, there's there's really a lot to say about it, and it, I think it already started quite interestingly with the the, the very first episode uh, th- that you directed, Mark, about like this this data center, the, the first uh, designer data center that is actually done by well-known architects, the image of which has, has been circulating pretty intensively all over like uh, architectural social media. But that this episode is really about, well, like experiencing this building ourselves, but also going in, but also using like the soundscapes to to analyze it, to understand it, and also talk with like experts about yeah, the, the impact in as many different ways, right? The social impact, but also the ecological impact and like the impact on the, the immediate urban environment. So, um, yeah, really... Yeah, it's m- like, a, yeah. Like, a, like a living object that has implications beyond the uh, this like box, you know, yeah. that, it, that it, yeah. things come in, it pushes things out. You know, even just like hearing the sounds, I think is like, okay, that is it's like a thing that is like really working very hard to do what it's supposed to do, you know? contrast right between these the, the the images that you usually see of these data centers like these robotic spaces devoid of human beings like completely slick and and still um and then you get there and it's it's mayhem it's it's a sonic mayhem there's a lot of people around um you can feel the the wind blowing inside because for, for all the cooling and, and heating and uh, etc it's a completely different experience you, you realize that you're in this enormous machine that needs to do a lot of a lot of hard work uh, in order for us to uh, you know stay online and make our in- instagram posts oh, that's just like yeah. put it put it even simpler like clouds don't sound like that right like <laughs> just by the very sound of like a factory yeah it, it's no longer a cloud right so yeah. um but how did you experience that charlie in the, in the episodes that you uh, directed so um i i guess yeah, I was thinking about this with, as you were saying, because, you know, I haven't been thus far with any of the episodes I put out on site. Um, but, you know, I, I've been really keen to use the form to, I don't know, I, I, I have a kind of slightly short attention span. And as I'm editing these episodes, I often think, oh, yeah, there should probably be some sort of like clip here or there should be like a bit of sound. People are going to get bored because, um, you know, like, you, for every hour that you produce, I mean, you're doing like at least 10 hours of editing. So you, I think mean, you sort of read it differently. You know, you're like, oh my God, like they're going to be so bored with like 20 minutes straight of conversation. Yeah. So, but, um, so I, you know, I, I do, I try as much as I can, probably too much to like put music in. Um, and this, I think, so the first episode about like video games, well, it's in the word video, right? Like, but you know, we don't really think about the kind of architectural aspects of of most subjects. But very much like this is something that already it's not something we're thinking about. So to think also then about like how the sounds in video games actually like 
convey certain ideas and a lot of it's to do with nostalgia and putting you in places um i think like and and that's something i find quite interesting about music in general about how it like works with space and cities it, it places you somewhere i think um so you know like for me and i i talk about this in the episode like streets of rage soundtrack is just like putting me in a place and it's putting other people and a lot of other mm. people in a place that doesn't really exist but it does because it's yeah it's it's the inner city you know and it's it's sort of this like breakbeat sort of techno vibe yeah. that's that's like very 8-bit sound and and in a way it's like your first encounters with the idea of what a city is and in a way that's more tangible I can also turn to the other episode, the second episode I did um, with with Geica and his music, and which is the fifth episode that it, we did. Yeah, and and it, and it was it was really exciting having Ash Sarka on, and then having her talking about a particular kind of story, walking past somewhere, and then having his music underneath, right? Because in a way, it's sort of like. And this, again, is like we can kind of talk about later, like the de deconstruction of the episode, right? Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're allowed to add these layers on top of layers. And in yeah. a way, like it's sort of by, by having someone talk underneath a soundtrack, it, it, mm -hmm. it, it suddenly you're like it, it creates this tone, this mood that's like yeah. really, really like hits you in the guts. But But for example, in that episode, what was it like um, not be, to be able to show images of London as a as a city of doom, right? Mm. Or yeah. not or not being able to rely on image? What? I think I mean, in a way, it was quite uh, liberating because you know, it, it London's a big and unknowable city, but if you can kind of with with like a sound, I mean, this is what's great about sort of music and sound, right? Is that it it's totally ambiguous what it means and it's mm -hmm. totally culturally informed if you listen to something it, it's not going to be the same if someone else listens to it they're not going to know where you are when you're listening you know where you are in your mind when you're listening to that kind of thing yeah. it, it, it can create these kind of communities of experience in a way because it's all the gaps are left open um yeah. So, so you should fill it in with your own uh, experiences, your own stories and, and stuff like that, you know. And that's something that visual really doesn't do, you know. The visual, especially the visual we're talking about, it, it, it's completely prepackaged. So, like, you know, you don't get nostalgia from looking at, yeah, the image of the data center that, that you don't get... Mm. Nostalgia, so much nostalgia from that, yeah. Yeah, interesting. I'm, I'm also thinking of the of the seventh episode we did on the on these unfinished buildings in in Italy, right? Yeah, nice. Um, which were 
pretty extreme. I mean, we visited the, some of these places actually where, while we were there. Um, and there was also pretty extreme uh, situations, right? Like these uh, massive, abandoned, ruined, like structures of concrete in the middle of like, yeah, yeah. the middle of the Italian landscape. structure in a tunnel, an underground tunnel that was built in the past 20-30 years. Um, it's so disorienting. Now we lost the, the light of the end of the tunnel and it's like my senses have to recalibrate. Maybe that felt upside down just now. Ah, oh, here's that. There's the light. The end, the other end of the tunnel. We're gonna make it. Yeah, what is, what is interesting is that. Is that like uh, photos or like visual material of these of these kind of places are like really captivating, right? And uh, can really draw your attention. But it was it was quite an interesting experience also to just work with the soundscapes that we recorded in these spaces. Um, but also that we like we couldn't also like to share this story. We couldn't rely on like well the, the, these captivating images, right? We we had we were forced to explain what these kind of structures meant and how we experienced them and yeah how they how they for example possibly could develop in the in the future right which also kind of like gives you i mean you know n neither three of us are like poets or anything like that but it does force you to kind of think poetically about space doesn't it that you have to actually start describing yeah. it and <laughs> yeah exactly it, it yeah. forces you to sort of isolate particular descriptors that you know mm. and and gives you a kind of uh an idea of like what's its sort of what's yeah, at stake in your mind you know yeah, what exactly yeah and it really happened also with these uh, spaces in italy because they're not um it's not very clear what they are right so it's like for example a half built like water dam or half built like hospital uh, and you don't really you don't you can't really see it uh, when you look at it what it uh, what it was supposed to be so indeed i i remember us struggling in italy with like how to describe it right like the I remember you saying like the, the the belly of this beast and mm. like the um, mm. and coming up with all kinds of like spiritual names for it, right? And so we really had to, uh, yeah, think of it, like rethink the, the vocabulary, yeah. uh, how to, to to talk about it. So it really triggers this like let's say this um, creative energy also, like you you are trying to make sense of it and trying to fill it in or trying to come up with a, a description of it. Yeah, and I think that was really. Um, it's really nice. Yeah. yeah. From an abandoned tunnel in Sicily to Taipei, Taiwan, you're listening to sounds from Minshen Park a small park in Taipei's Songshan district, recorded in the late afternoon on the 29th of October, 2012, 
by Wu San Chang. Just over six years later, on the 20th of February, 2019, San Cheng returned to the park to make another recording. Here it is. Same space, similar sounds, different kids. I noticed that Taiwan features heavily on Apori.org, and it turns out it's almost entirely thanks to San Cheng. Everywhere I looked, there he was, posting sounds recorded as recently as a few hours ago. Apori.org allows you to write to the user whose recording it is, so I wrote to San Cheng, asking if he'd like to talk about his sounds. Within an hour, he responded, and the very next day, I had him on the line explaining his project, Taiwan Sound Map. Here he is. Uh, you can call me Chan Zheng, yeah. In Taiwan, maybe some people will call me the song artist mm, in visual art. I produced this song map project until this year, maybe seven years. Mm, I will do this project for 10 years. So I it will be in uh, 2021. Mm, the choice of my recording is very random. I record as many ambient sounds as possible. I just see the map and say, okay, today is here. I did not have any goal, any, any view. I just walking in this place and then maybe I want to go turn right or go turn left. Just recording. If I in the park, I can hear the bird, quiet bird song. Most of the re- recorder, they just want the bird song, but I will record the bird and where in this park they have a big wall and they have noise, like the traffic noise. I record at the same time, and I will keep the traffic song because the noise is very important for this bird song. When I record many, many parks in the city, I think we can find why the people will like this park or this one, people do not like it. So. When I use the field recording, and I think this data will be a new, different kind of way to think about the city. In Taiwan, we have many traditional market. They, most of the market will be outdoor, and the vendor will be chatting, and it's very noisy. But in this space, in Taiwan, it's very, very exciting. Uh, you can draw around, you can choose, uh, you can chat in. It's very, very interesting. But the new market in the city, maybe it's just a big building. The market will be boring. Yeah, so when, when I record the, the market, the new market or the, the old market, I want to people to think about which one market you want to, to go to 
Sun Cheng wrote me an email afterwards, expressing some concern that his English wasn't clear. I thought it was fine, but just in case, I made a transcription of what he said, which you can find in the show notes. Charlie, you, you came up with this um, this idea of, of well, we already talked about music and what it can do. But you you've, I th- this is something that you're interested in um, exploring further, right? Like, uh, th- and, and, and especially the moods, these... Um, Yes, I mean, I, yeah, the, it, just to sort of, I mean, say what I already said, but um, music obviously kind of, it's, it's an experience that is entirely subjective uh, when, you know, listening to music or listening to sounds. Some sounds are completely meaningless to some people and many sounds are meaningless to many people. But um, obviously there's certain sounds that can kind of generate a feeling that, that sort of articulates a, a, a broader urban condition, right? Um, I keep coming back to a few songs, and I mean, maybe similarly, I think it'd be nice to sort of like ask you guys as well, but I'll, you know, and talk about them as well. I mean, yeah. so I keep thinking about Night Bus, the uh, Viberial, which is this kind of short um, track mm-hmm. on the first album. Let's see if I can p- pop it on, if I connect my... Uh my computer to the recorder and then I mean, yeah, I can keep on yeah, talking yeah, and I'll, I'll see if I can and and why is because I, I mean the the title helps obviously like I mean would I think about night buses if it wasn't called night bus maybe not right but like I mean the whole sort of body of work of burial can kind of stand in for this and why is because you know i have this image of being uh, on the way home waiting for a bus waiting for kind of too long maybe it's quite distracting actually having it on or actually just quite <laughs> affecting like mm-hmm. i'm kind of thinking oh god i'm actually here i can i can think of this place i'm in and it's yeah. uh, the crossroads um as you're sort of going from uh peckham to new cross and uh, there's a bus you need to take as you're kind of I've, I've, it's been a while since I've been in London, but you need to change buses and it on takes the way ages. back. Yeah, and it's really, really long and it's really bleak as well if you're there at three in the morning and slightly tired. And it, it, there's a certain macabre quality to this track where, like, you can hear the echoes of rave. Like, mm-hmm. and this is a kind of historical thing as well. You can hear the sort of sound of it's rain. The nostalgia kicking in. Again. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know. But was it made also in South London? Yeah, he he's from that part of part mm. of the. I don't actually. I mean, like. I, I mean, that adds to the experience, right? Totally. I mean, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, I think you do rely much more on on night buses if you're in South London in general, because it's yeah. just like less well connected. But also, like, there's a certain wider expanse or feeling about South London as a, a place compared to north of the river. Um, yeah, you can hear these echoes, specifically, mm-hmm. yeah. vocal quality, and that's like you know the sort of um, longing in a way for where you were just a few hours before maybe, but it's also a longing for maybe a kind of collectivity that was, uh, that is now lost um, in what rave culture in its early nineties manifestation offered, um, which Burial never experienced, but his older brother, I believe sort of introduced him to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super interesting. Um, I mean, especially because we, 
moved towards uh, when we started the podcast. It immediately became quite obvious that it would be interesting to do something with with music, right? Yeah. Uh, because like the the, the medium aligns so well. So one of the ideas also to do like a specific episode about it at some point. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, know, you were thinking about it for a long time, right? And, and I uh, think I mean like just to sort of prepare listeners that we will, I think we're going to be reaching out to quite a lot, like trying yeah. to reach out to as many people as possible um, from as many places as possible, because it's, yeah. it's yeah. something that really, I think is just going to be really easy to, to get people engaged. Yeah. In. And shouldn't it also be us just relaying th these experiences, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's something that we really would like to harvest uh, from a, <laughs> from yeah. a broad audience. And Should we just it, turn it into like an open call? Right yeah, now? yeah. Right now here yeah. <laughs> as we're, as we're talking. Yeah. So if you, uh, yeah, maybe if you ha want to share specific stories, want to share specific sounds or, or tracks, uh, please send an email to editors at fieldarchitecture.com, right? Is that yeah. something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'd just like yeah. to talk to you or you, you know, take your voice about, you know, why it matters and we'll chuck yeah. that in yeah. through um, future podcast or podcasts, I think. Yeah. Uh, potentially it's it's a series, um, but yeah. we'll see. It depends on how much material we get. Um, yeah, but what is also interesting is that you can approach this topic from from different perspectives, right? So I, I've also been thinking about you know a, a bit like what you're saying now about the the personal experience of like how specific sounds ha like you know like kickstart certain memories or a certain nostalgia the triggering on the yeah, yeah exactly how it triggers certain uh, certain memories um, because of like earlier experiences, but also uh, how, for example, um, specific songs. Um, convey specific ideas about like uh, urban areas mm -hmm. or specific buildings or a specific um, spatial experience. I have one actually. Oh, oh yeah. Can, Go for it. yeah. see if I can, um, I can play this. It's a track by uh, Melanie de Biasio, who's a uh, Belgian, Italian jazz singer and um, instrumentalist. And it's, the song is called Blackened Cities. So immediately it's about, you know, about cities. And I think this, um, I think we, it's a long track, it's like 25 minutes long. And right now we're at like 18, 19 minutes. And it's a really great track. It, it starts off like very, very calm and, and slow. And then slowly the, uh, the rhythm like gets more intense, more intense. And um, also her singing uh, and the instruments, it, it, it almost, it enters like some, some kind of trance-like uh, state and it is the thing actually that's uh, getting me most is like the beat. It's nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah and she's um, she's actually from Charleroi, so which is this uh, this post-industrial city used to rely heavily on, I think, coal mining. Uh, well, obviously that um, left, and um, and the city was left behind. Uh, it was once a very successful city, but I mean, eventually it's suffering. So, I think, and that's maybe my interpretation this, of this, of this, uh, you know, also the sound of it, you know, starting off the urban experience is very sweet and successful, and all of a sudden it becomes more, it becomes harder and more, more, uh, more intense, and it's not really clear whether this is this intensity is about excitement you know or or uh panic and anxiety so um that's great though. i mean because like presumably you don't know if that's you know what it's about but it's about that for you right and yeah. you know there is this kind of importance in excavating the artist's history which i did with, i was talking about with burial right it's, yeah. you know like he's from that area he's got an older brother who was like involved in a more 
optimistic period of, yeah. of music. And, but, um, you know, yeah, you're, you're like consciously engaged in a sort of act of like creation in excavating that person's backstory and then like trying to kind of situate it somewhere and then situate the music in that space and then try and like see how the music kind of plays off against that yeah. image you've created. Mm -hmm. you know? well, it's interesting, but like um, when, when you listen to this music, how much do you need to know about the background of the music to know that it relates to that area? I mean, you don't. And well, actually the way, I mean, it came to me was by seeing the, the album cover and the title. So the title ah, is right. Blackened Cities. Yeah. And the uh, the album cover also shows like uh, an aerial shot of uh, a black and white aerial shot of what I think is Charleroi, but is it's like a very mm. industrial area with these, uh, I mean, these relics of a, of a because, pastime. Because that's quite like. interesting. Because like talking about um, mm -hmm. the relation between music and architecture, I, I, I immediately or I often think about uh, the music clips, right? That use specific buildings to like, or, yeah. or like the album covers, for example, um, where they use specific kind of buildings or urban environments, uh, even though the, the songs not necessarily relate to that urban environment or not necessarily about it, right? Yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't, probably wouldn't have had this image or this 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 mood or or, or sense yeah. of uh and maybe an imaginary place um that i have with this song right now if if it weren't for the the title yeah. and the the album cover the artwork yeah. it, it kind of like tees you up doesn't it so i mean you do need that you need you, yeah you the visual is important you know yeah. but mm -hmm. but in a way you just run with it and it, you know you, you you go you can go so much further with with the sound in a way yeah. right like yeah sure but what is also quite interesting is this sense of where it's being produced right um i wanted to share this this song with you it's hitamini uh, by hissa halabesa and sweezy what is interesting is that um like music that's being produced in a specific place in a specific time frame right so um i'm just thinking like when we were preparing this episode, I was thinking a lot about uh, the, the period I lived in uh, in Cairo, yeah. capital of Egypt, uh, where like well, already before the revolution, but it really kicked off after the revolution in 2011, where there was a specific uh, sound that emerged from yeah specific neighborhoods, like a specific selection of like working class neighborhoods, often also informally built neighborhoods, um, where young people started to produce um, their own music based on well, like previous trends and different musical traditions. But what is interesting is that like young groups of people came together to, uh, to yeah, record it and produce it uh, together. Um, and this became like really a massive, like, well, let's say like, uh, let's, say, let's call it a musical revolution also within Egypt. Mm. And it has also resonated uh, mm. pretty strongly beyond it. And so on the one hand, it's really interesting to see how it has been produced within like these neighborhoods, but also how, um, it is really it really became the sound of these neighborhoods also yeah. so if you right now would go there you will probably bump into a wedding where this music is being played or like like these small tuk tucks or like uh, small caps would like play this music like really loudly so it yeah. also became really became the song of these uh, the wow. sound of these areas shall we listen to it for yeah, like yeah, five yeah. or ten seconds mm. put it up i would say mm. yeah.
Uh, it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we can stop. Yeah, like. Hey, but like, so this guy just. Um, Sorry. <laughs> that was Charlie. Uh, <laughs> this guy just came in uh, telling us that we need to leave the studio. Yeah, we only paid for uh, until five, hours. so we need to. <laughs> we just had too much fun. <laughs> yeah, and we also talked too much, maybe. Is there, is there anything that else that we need to say before we, uh, we leave the studio? No, I think we can uh, we can repeat by saying that people, if you have specific songs that talk to you about a specific urban mood or a place that you are in or have been in or have never been yeah. in, uh, please let us know. Editors yeah. at failedarchitecture.com. And maybe very briefly, uh, final thing is like, what, what are the, the upcoming uh, episodes you, uh, you're working on? Urban anxiety. Tony? Uh, historical geography of heroin, uh, <laughs> light subject, and um, a slightly more heavy subject, uh, the um, the Louvre and huh. Beyonce's ape shit. Okay, and uh, for me, it's one about Mecca, actually, the massive uh, urban makeover of uh, Islam's most holy city, um, and maybe the reconstruction of Syria. But that's something that's to be explored. Wow! Okay, right. lots of that's things coming uh, up. <laughs> Let's wrap this one up then, and um, I'm looking forward to all those episodes. Great, thank you guys. Good. Later.